Did you say preparation? <laughs> I know I you will have done. Give me a wave. Sorry, <laughs> I know you will have done, Neil. <laughs> Brilliant to see you all. I'm switching to gallery as I always do because I'd much rather look at your beautiful faces than mine. Hello, everybody. Hello, Weirs. Hello, Cordons. Hello, oh, Fords. Empty room. I'm sure they're somewhere there. Hello, Jacksons. Hello, Penny. Hi, everybody. It is so brilliant to see you all. Um, from 150 miles away, I'm, I'm so blessed by this technology for as long as I can. I'm, I'm praying for you for your move back to the school because I'm sure um, that's part of the Lord's plan for you, but I've just been glad of this period when I can be with you and, and share with you. So here we are, and we're thinking about grace, a, a, a passage that many of us will know really, really well. Um, ever since that, that we decided that this was what the Lord wanted us to think about today, I, I've had a song going through my head, and it wasn't either of the ones Bill picked. It was, Lord, I'm, I've been broken. No, I'm not worthy. You fix me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came. Everybody, you came. All right, okay. Yeah, Stormzy. Who, who would have thought? That's four years ago almost. Four years next month since this, this little known guy from, from West London, well, certainly little known within the church. Um, suddenly hit upon these words from from this 2000 year old passage um and and took them into the charts into the top 10 um and i, I don't know i was i don't recommend it but i was watching his his set from glastonbury the other week and it is such a it's such an it's such an interesting paradox stormzy he's at one minute he's he's singing of, of how god has saved him and how great things are and the next minute he's effing and jeffing and and for me, that's that. That's kind of that's kind of really appropriate for for my message today because you know even though we celebrate even in the words that that Bernice read earlier, and I'm going to read them again halfway through this. Uh, um, we're still not quite there, are we? In another pop music song that I'm really fond of from the. Uh, from the early 90s, you uh, too sang, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, late 80s, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Um, and and we, we're living in this kind of in-between stage. Um, so I think this is really an appropriate message. You know, what I always ask when I, when I speak or, you know, is, is, is what is the relevance of this? What, what, what can people take away for their lives? And I think there is so much in this passage certainly Stormzy thought so um and uh, i think it's he's right you know i think we need this message of grace now as much as we ever have in this crazy mixed up world you know there's increasing disenchantment that's what i'm sensing increasing disenchantment with life suicide rates are you know are just so so sad you know the world's in many ways seems a colder harder place day by day but we have this glorious message and let's share that today and let's take that out into the world so let's do it let's unpack this message okay i you know thank you so much for reading that bernice you know i think from reading the passage um paul was speaking into a similarly confused time back then and 2000 years of history since then 
you know, says that over and over again, whenever hearers have understood and applied this profound message, everything else just falls into place. We understand why we are imperfect, but there's a God who still loves us. So I think it would help first if I gave you a bit of background as to, as to the people that Paul was writing to, because I think there's an argument here for, for saying that this message was relevant to them and is still relevant to us because of the kind of people they were and the kind of people we are. So let me tell you a bit more about the Ephesians. So Paul's writing to a fledgling church in a very spiritually hostile world. Ephesus was the centre of the cult of Artemis Ephesia and the temple of Artemis was one of the famous seven wonders of the world. Because of its size and its grandeur, the main hall was 400 foot long, 150 foot wide, 50 foot high and the roof was held up by 128 columns. It was the first Greek temple made entirely of marble. That took some serious effort. This cult of, of Artemis was a serious force, religious force to be reckoned with. So compared to that, in terms of religious clout, the church that received this letter was a very small fish in a very big pond. Does that sound familiar? Do you feel like, like the church is becoming a smaller and smaller part of this, this, this culture having less and less effect on life. Well, this was the context that Paul was writing into. So I think his message has something to say to us. But it was also a confusing time. There was, there was even confusion surrounding this cult of Artemis that ruled over everything in, in life. And the reality for ancient worshippers of, of Artemis back then must have been that you really didn't know where you stood with this goddess. Part of the problem was that she was a kind of a mashup of an older pre-Greek fertility goddess from that part of what we now know as Turkey. Um, she, that, that goddess was a fertility goddess, she was a mother, she was a protector, she was responsible for the harvest. Um, and she had a necklace around her, in all of the depictions that remain of her, she has a necklace around her made up of the signs of the zodiac. Um, so she was responsible for, a, you know, she was a god above all of these lesser spirits. Um, but then she was mashed up with, with the classic Greek goddess. If, if, you're, if you've studied... Um, classics if you studied ancient greek lit literature the classical goddess artemis and the greek culture comes into this part of turkey you know four or five hundred years before and starts to to influence the way these turkish people worshipped um but artemis was a very different female god to that mother figure um that the the god the god artemis from greek um classical greek culture was was a bit of a psychopath actually um, you know, she left a trail of bodies in her way because she was also a virgin. She wasn't a mother. So, you know, th th there's this kind of, um, you know, a, a clash of personalities here that are getting mashed together. And then the Romans come in, up to, you know, 100 years later, and they start to influence things. And they bring their goddess Diana in, and she gets kind of confused with, with Artemis. Um, 
And Diana's a completely different character again. Diana, in fact, has, has got three personalities, three, you know, she's a triune god. I wonder where they got that idea from. So this is, you know, the, the, these were the influences on the, on the people and, and the, the cult of Artemis was everywhere in Ephesus. So this was a really confused time when there were gods and authorities kind of, you know, clashing and, and vying for influence. Does that sound familiar? Strangely familiar to us? You know, despite all the evidence of the country, millions still consult horoscopes in our world. And also, I don't think we're unfamiliar with what Paul terms gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts in verse two there. It, so it was a sexualized world. And on that macro level, you know, we may not call them gods anymore, but actually our world is full of a head spinning array, isn't it? Of, of competing forces who at the one moment can seem benign and friendly and the next life threateningly dangerous. You know what I'm talking about. Whether it's multinational companies or corrupt governments, financial institutions, or you just bad choices that, that you know, from all of us that are affecting the planet, the spectre of false gods still lingers. So maybe in some ways nothing much has changed. But maybe the solution hasn't changed either. One word, five letters, grace, undeserved favour dispensed by a loving heavenly father. Okay, let's read the passage again. Let's just remind ourselves of a few things that Paul says. Verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not even just unconscious, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Let's, let's, let's move it on to verse six. And God raised us up with Christ. And not just resuscitated us, he seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages, we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we have been saved, through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul argues right from the start in verse one, that we may be breathing, but without Jesus, we're not actually living. We are dead in our transgressions. That's a long way, isn't it, from Jesus's promise that he will give us life in all its fullness. And it will be easy to equate Paul's description with some modern day stereotypes of people who are alive but not living. It's easy to, to, to transmit this onto other people and not ourselves, isn't it? You know, classic image of a drug addict sort of stumbling around in a stupor. But you know what? I think it, the, the, the issue's wider than this. I think our world is full of people 
people on the employment treadmill, per perhaps, you know, stuck in a job that, that, that's not fulfilling their lives. And there's even, they know in their heart of hearts, it's actually damaging the world, it's killing their souls. People in the grip of materialism, under the mesmer mesmeric control of technology and social media. People in the grip of conspiracy theories out there. How many times have you heard that about coronavirus and Brexit and all these things? Conspiracy theories. Even people who are stuck in the past, I would say. People longing for the good old days through rose-tinted spectacles when they know in their heart of hearts that there is no going back. And actually, there were, there were, there were things that were wrong about those days as well. I think there are different ways that we can be dead and lost in our transgressions. I heard an excellent interview this week with an author and I, I, I just can't wait to get hold of the book. So this is my first book recommendation. There'll be two today. Um, it's not out yet. It's out this month. I heard this interview by a guy called Alan Noble and the book is called You Are Not Your Own. Apparently his inspiration for the argument in the book is watching a captive animal pacing a cage in a zoo and thinking, whoa, this is a picture of me and my relationship with Western society. Despite all the effort that zoo is going to to make this animal comfortable and stimulated, it knows deep down in its core that it doesn't belong there. And apparently it's got to the point where some animals are on antidepressants. And the same is the case for a large number of humans. Not just in the refugee camps and disaster zones of the world, but also in the affluent West. In fact, many of the countries at the top of the global wealth index are much lower down in the happiness index. Alan Noble claims that the problem for many of us is that we are being sold a lie that we are independent, autonomous creatures who self-define are the masters of our own destiny. But the reality is that people soon discover that's a house built on a foundation of sand, to use Jesus's metaphor. And I believe there's a lot of truth in that. I cringe when I hear young people being told as long as they try their best, they can be anything they want to be. I'm sorry, that simply isn't logical, reasonable, or even physically possible most of the time. I believe the conclusion of the book, spoiler alert here, folks, is that many, for many people, in sympathy, sorry, I believe that the conclusion of the book is very much in sympathy with the message of today from, from Paul. Namely, that we can be anything our Heavenly Father graciously gives us the gifts and abilities to be in order to work towards a far more satisfying whole for all of creation. We are not our own. That's what Paul is saying. That's what this, this message, this book is. We are not our own, folks. We are part of a, a bigger plan. You know, the, the, the world is, is constantly you're trying to leave God behind and saying, you know, you, you, let's all be independent. Let's do our own thing. But we know in our heart of hearts that, that, that there's, a, there's an incongruity in that, isn't there? You know, because we are, we, you know, the more independent we become, the more we are craving the approval of others, you know, to affirm our independence. We need each other, folks. And we need God.
And that means we have to we have to accept limitations. We have to accept his authority. We have to accept that to put you know in Jesus was to put others first, to put our, our brothers and sisters and, and and the interests of others before our own. You know, clearly the rebellion that we see in, in verse two of that passage is a story as old as the Bible, isn't it? But it's still part of the human condition. We can tell Yahweh we don't want his help, thank you very much. But you know what, I've found the best way to manage dissatisfaction is to take it to our Heavenly Father, not turn our back. Also, there's no, don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with having dreams and stretching ourselves as long as we accept that each and every one will not succeed, folks. You know, the difficulty with the gods of this modern age is they have more technology at their disposal than ever before to try and stretch the possibilities of change without the necessary moral and ethical framework. You know, you can change your body, you can fill yourself full of, full of drugs to change your mind, you know, and the world is giving you more and more of those possibilities, but, but do they make you a more authentic you? No, the real authentic you is, an, is a you that, that, that finds the truth that's found in this word, that finds the, the creator who loves you and made you for his purpose. The message of Ephesians is that we can truly live in the here and now and make the world a better place for all. But that only comes through surrender. And like it or not, the truth is that ultimately it's not about how good we are, but how gracious God is. Jesus' brother James, writing about this same time, said, Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. He got it. Even the best this culture, this system has to offer, pales into insignificance in, in comparison to our true inheritance. We have a tremendous message for this crazy mixed up world. Stop struggling. Stop striving. Stop pacing the cage. The hardest part has already been done by Jesus on the cross. Leaning on Yahweh's amazing grace is the key to living a truly authentic life. Yes, there will still be struggles. Of course there will. But be prepared for the system to fight back as well. You know, the, those Ephesians, if, if they, you know, if they could answer the answer pulled back they would say actually this is hard you know this culture that we are we are surrounded by doesn't want us to break free but actually also we've got to admit that some of our present struggle is due to due to our own continued rebellion you know, we're not perfect. Paul talks in, in verse six that, that in some respects we are raised up. We are already seated with Jesus. You know, that we are saved and there's, there's nothing anyone can do to take that away from us. But actually we are still stuck with our feet in this world and we've still got to live with that. So don't get me wrong, I know life can be hard. One of the, my other recommendation, one of the classic books on this is, I'm sure many of you have read What's So Amazing About Grace by Phil Yancey. I'd thoroughly recommend it. If you want to take this, this further, 
if you want to think more about grace. It's just a wonderful book, partly full of teaching, partly full of so many amazing anecdotes and, and examples of grace from, you know, uh, forgiveness, uh, uh, you know, in, in in times of Holocaust to just very simple, lovely media examples. I love this. Um, one of my favourite actors is uh, Meryl Streep, and there's a, there's a there's an example he uses from from one of her films. In a scene from the movie Ironweed, the characters played by Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep stumble across an old Eskimo woman lying in the snow, probably drunk. Besotted themselves, the two debate what they should do about her. Is she drunk or a bum? asked Nicholson. Just a bum. Been one all her life. And before that, she was a whore in Alaska. She hasn't been a whore all her life. Before that, I don't know. Just a little kid, I guess. Well, a little kid's something. It's not a bum. It's not a whore. It's a something. Let's take her in. The two vagrants were seeing the Eskimo woman through the lens of grace, where society only saw a sinner. Grace saw a little kid, a person made in the image of God, no matter how that image was defaced. Let's make this personal, folks. This is, this is not a, a grand scheme, just a grand scheme thing. This is a personal thing for our lives. We may be in the depths of despair, or we may just be kind of chugging along whatever position we're in this is personal for us you know let's let's forget the forget the world outside for a minute let's make this personal god has saved us by grace he has chosen us he thinks we are worth saving saving from ourselves saving from the corruption of the world You've been resurrected. Verse five, you've been resurrected by the Lord for a truly eternal purpose. Your life has meaning now because you've been saved by grace. Verse 10, that was. It was nothing you did and everything to do with what Paul calls the incomparable riches of his grace. There is no one like our God. Verse seven. So let's not get too proud either. Don't boast. Don't act all superior. Verse nine. And we are the advance party, verse six says. Into verse seven, we are an example for the next generation. We've got one of our purposes in life is to, is to point the way for others. Let's do that by our words. Let's do that by our actions. Let's live in an attitude of grace. Let's encourage one another. Let's forgive one another. We will never, you know, let's not beat ourselves up. We will never be God. We will never reach his incomparable riches of grace. But we can emulate him as best we can. We can forgive those we disagree with. We can embrace those who, who may never change. But if Jesus dies for them, if the Father embraces them, what right have we got to do any different? Thank you so much for listening today, folks. God bless you. Let's pray for one another that this message of grace, we can take it to the world.
Father, it's not just Stormzy. We are blinded by your grace. We are just amazed that you would save us in the depths of our despair when we think about the worst moment of our lives and we confess it again and we say we're sorry for what we've done. We're sorry for the way we've hurt others and messed up your world. When we think of that, we then immediately think of your grace and how you have saved us from that and you have forgiven us and you have taken that you, uh, you have banished that sin as far as the east is from the west, your, world, your word says. Lord, we thank you for that grace. And we pray that we can extend that grace to others. That when we are wronged, we can forgive. Give us the power and the ability to do that, we pray. We pray for those who are, who are near and dear to us, who are still in the grip of sin and transgression and just the the negativity of the world we pray that we can bring a message of grace to them and we pray that your grace can save them too Lord, you are amazing and your grace is amazing and nothing can stop you we are secure in that knowledge and lord as we regain we come back together as a community and we start to meet together in person again we pray for your grace for one another and your understanding and th that we can embrace one another just as you embrace us thank you lord thank you for your grace thank you for one another lord bless the rest of this service and the rest of our time in your service, in Jesus' name. Amen.